support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is also provided by the PDX Executive Assembly, a membership of leaders from Portland companies, led by executives from the Trailblazers, Adidas, Yakima, and more, Assembly's curated cohorts of executives serve to accelerate leadership development and build a meaningful network of peers, free from press and sales solicitation. Join now at pdxexecutiveassembly.com. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. Some of you know I run uh, some event series, some private communities. So the nerd in me uh, is really excited to have this next conversation and have the guests on today. Uh, Laura is the founder of Get With, uh, a startup here in Portland that's pretty new. So we're going to both learn, we're all going to learn a little bit more about the company. Uh, Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and I am excited to learn about your uh, community experience as well. Yeah, you bet. So let's start. I guess, can you tell us a little bit about what you're building, uh, get with. Sure. So, um, you know, we're very early, so I will not get into the deep specifics, but fundamentally I got interested in the space for a number of reasons. Um, I actually started thinking about this from the perspective of belonging. So before get with, I was at Marco Polo for four and a half years. And if you're familiar with Marco Polo, it's a video app that, um, allows people to stay in touch with their family through video messaging. And I spoke to so many people, but I also started to really understand the incredible problem in not just U.S., but everywhere uh, around loneliness. Um, And I don't know if you're familiar, but some of the statistics are really, really crazy. Like two out of five Americans don't have friends. Wow. And what I realized was that communities really, for me, were what led to the sense of belonging and that I sought out community and and events and and ways to be with other people Mm -hmm. to find it. So that was, I realized that was the space that I wanted to support. Mm -hmm. And myself running online communities, I realized there's a gap in the amount of deep connection that you can create with online communities. So that's where we're playing Get With. You know, as someone who did a, a lot of live events and now uh, I'm using some online community platforms to complement that. And I'm learning a lot about it because that's not, wasn't my background. So I'm using, uh, I mentioned to you before recorded Mighty Networks. It is such a challenge to kind of bridge that gap. So just, we'll get it. I want to get in the conversation of just a community managers and how this helps them. But it just seems like there's a huge opportunity opportunity. And I think that the challenging part too is, is where to start. I guess mm. I'm just going to like, my challenges with, with it is um, to really tactical things, right? So 
keeping the conversations going, planning, seeding conversations, the moderating of it, engaging community to dive into that conversation. So I think that's kind of what you're building to to help with that. And I would love maybe if what you can share, obviously not specifics, but some best practices. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think that even without my product, uh, there are a lot of things that people can do to increase their engagement and increase the level of connection in their community. Um, but it is difficult because most of the platforms right now are built on a model that's kind of either like posts like Facebook or Mighty Networks or Circle where, you know, there's like a post and then you mm-hmm. comment on the post, but you know, I don't know if that is your experience. My experience is I don't really know the person if yeah. I talk to them in person. 100%. So it's kind of a weird thing to be commenting on their post and then Slack and uh, discord, you know, which were built for very different use cases, both are ways that people can feel like they're chatting kind of, but again, if you've joined a Slack and you don't know the people in person, it's a little awkward. So um, what I'm trying to do is make it easier because right now I think people are trying to solve that problem with Zoom. Mm. And I think Zooms are amazing. You know, it's great to see people and, and get into a little bit more of a connection, but they have a really high overhead. So you have to yeah. schedule it and everyone has to be on video and look nice and you have to sit in front of a computer and you get tired of doing that all day. And yeah. you have to look at yourself, which is maybe the most painful aspect of our current world. Like how much time do I spend looking at myself now? It's crazy. So um, what we're doing is in more of a a more impromptu audio connections, Hmm. um, still with the kind of some of the frameworks that you would see in a Slack or a Mighty Network, but um, more focused on getting people into conversations, like real conversations. Well, I mean, this is another space I love. I uh, have a podcast production company. Right. So like the audio and the community. So you're, I, I, I want to sign up for this when you roll it out. And is this going to be something that integrates, you, you know, we talked about some of these other platforms like Mighty Networks and Circle, or is it going to be a standalone? Yeah. Um, I think that our, the current plan is that it will be something that can complement those other platforms to start out with, because obviously as an early stage startup, you're not going to reinvent the entire wheel. Mm -hmm. Um, So being able to use other platforms as more of a wedge, like is a good starting place. I would love ultimately to be able to be an ecosystem that can serve communities in all different ways. But, you know, if people have their community already set up somewhere, great. Um, It's really about getting people into those conversations and a more connection. And I, and I love the kind of the, the the origin and the purpose. It really is going back to the the statistics you mentioned. And I was just thinking in, of, uh, about this this week. And of course, with some tragedies we've had, is you know around loneliness mm-hmm. and and with all the you know mining networks, all these different things we have digitally, it almost seems to be getting worse. So to have a tool to, to help with this, I I mean, just from the purpose side of it, I just commend you for, and I think it's super valuable in getting to, you know, helping folks who run these communities. Uh, I don't know if you know, Rick from Pi. Uh, Very well. Yeah. Okay, great. And he, uh, Rick, I shouldn't say very well, but I, (laughs) We all, we all feel like we know Rick very well because he's been in the community for a while and you know, Rick does such great things. We talked about burnout and Mm -hmm. folks who run communities and how challenging it can be. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that or if that's kind of part of your, your mission too. Absolutely. 
I think my story is that a lot of folks who are spending their time running communities, whether it's for a job or as a volunteer, are doing a lot of things because of the way that we've built platforms that are not that much why they signed up to be a community person. So instead of actually like having that real energy from having people get together and feel connected and, you know, seeing how that blossoms, I think a lot of community folks are really motivated by being connectors. You're instead monitoring posts on mm. an online platform or scheduling things. And I was at a, a event, um, awesome event that's called the Community Led Summit yesterday. And mm. there was a speaker there talking about this phenomenon where you see somebody basically talking to themselves in a Slack or in my network because, <laughs> you know, they're the community leader trying to get a conversation right. going, but, you know, people aren't engaging. And it's funny because in community, it's kind of this paradox where the larger your community gets, the worse the engagement becomes huh. um, because people are looking for personal connection and and doesn't really feel that personal when you're in a Slack with 7,000 people. So you actually yeah. find people just starting to just use it as a social media where they self-promote instead of trying to get into conversations. Or just scrolling through, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. you said, just kind of, that is fascinating because there, as you know, it's like kind of going back to, I kind of relate it to when I was a kid and the bands I was into and like, I knew them when, and when they get big enough, it's kind of like, you know, uh, and I feel like that same phenomenon happens a little bit in communities or whether they're a live in person event or with, so it's so challenging because as someone who wants to create communities, bigger can potentially you feel like you're fulfilling your mission a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, maybe that doesn't come across. So what were some of, were there any solutions to that? I mean, obviously you're building one, but I don't know what from that event you're yeah. just at, how folks talked about it. I, I do think that this is uh, really important because right now, in a lot of ways, we've taught ourselves that scale is what's important or what really, you know, reflects that you're successful. Mm. And and uh, community, it doesn't really work that way. So, you know, high impact is often not correlated with a lot of people in communities. So what I really recommend is that if you have a large and scaling community, you just create smaller groups within the community. And um, that's really the solution because you we just aren't wired. You know, you've heard of Dunbar's number, I'm mm -hmm. sure, 150 people. But even in terms of our Dunbar also talks about um, different sizes of groups, and there are limits to how much we can care about and, and how many people we can care about, basically, and kind of follow yeah. and understand what's going on for them. And so if you have a large community and you're able to create more immersive experiences where people feel like they have a personal connection to the other people in that subgroup, mm -hmm. then you basically, that's how I think of scaling um, in community successfully. Mm. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. I mean, that's a challenge within itself, but I think it's something that, you know, there's still a lot of work involved in well, scaling down. That yeah. I think is really important with this. And this is something that I think the community industry, such as it is, is, um, <laughs> is really starting to embrace that successful communities involve a lot of empowerment. And so if you as the community manager are the only person doing the work of bringing people together, running these groups, of course, you will never be able to have a, a scaled community where people are yeah. connected. But mm -hmm. if you start noticing 
the participation level, people who have um, gone through the sort of process of learning the norms and then teaching other people about the norms of the community, if you can take them and say, hey, you're now a leader and you're, mm. you know, you have the power to start your own conversations or you can run events now, then suddenly you have a community that's much more dynamic. I mean, community can't work if it's one person who's like yeah. the leader of the community. Right. It has to be something that's uh, more integrated. Certainly passes certain quote unquote scale, like you said. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's a big, you said something really, I think that struck me. And I think it'll strike a lot of people is scaling equals kind of success and whatever that means. And as someone who's building a company, and I don't know if you've taken investment or down on your roadmap to, I mean, this is like a push pull thing a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I want to- Tell me more what you mean by that. Well, I was going to kind of shift it into um, just you starting a company because uh, how I found about Get With is I believe you were part of Founders Gym, mm-hmm. right? It was like a cohort yeah. and uh, I would love to learn more about that. So, and then we can go into- you know, the next steps, raising money or whatever. So let's, let's get back to like the Founders Gym for folks who don't know about what Founders Gym is here locally. Could could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, Founders Gym is a program or I should say was a program because we are the last cohort of it, sadly. Um, but it helped underrepresented founders get access to training around fundraising in particular. Mm -hmm. And so lots of amazing people from the Silicon Valley and other um, fundraising community came and trained us, and then okay. we did a, you know did our decks and the kind of things that you do for preparing for fundraising. Yeah, and and for me, you know, I was so lucky to participate in that, even though at that point I was very early, so I wasn't really um, at a stage where I was thinking about fundraising. Um, okay. But I do think that it is a fascinating problem space. Um, so a little bit of background for me is I've been involved in the, what I'll call the tech for good or healthy tech or, um, the world of thinking about technology from a little bit more of a holistic standpoint and how some of the ways that we have been funded businesses in the past have led to, or at least been involved in downstream consequences that we may not be super excited about. So Mm. You know, there's this ethos of build fast, break things. And when you're talking about products that are primarily about people, there's a little bit of a, you know, scary aspect to that, I guess, that um, yeah. we really, we think of social media as, especially when it, they first came out as just being like fun and there wouldn't be a lot of downstream, mm-hmm. you know, negative consequences to putting everybody in the world online. But mm-hmm. Of course, uh, now we've discovered that when you have a tension economy and you're driving engagement over everything else, then, you know, that causes people to actually behave differently. And so I think that there is a shift in, in the fundraising world to start thinking about this a little bit, but there's a tension because frankly, addictive products are more viral, more likely to succeed, especially in the consumer space. Yeah. And you just articulated it much better than uh, what I was trying to, to say when you asked me about it. I think that model, and especially around um, a platform or business that's really about 
connection among people. That's what I say. It doesn't match sometimes just the, the funding model. And it kind of reminds me, I don't know if you know who Rand Fishkin is, mm-hmm. ran, uh, wrote a book called Lost and Founder, kind of of that experience uh, with Rand's last company, Moz. So all these things, I guess I was kind of trying to allude to of how that works. So I guess knowing that with your company, what kind of approach do you think you'll take while building it? It's a really good question um, and something that I'm still exploring. So, um, you know, when I began this journey, which was, you know, less than a year ago, so okay. um, a short time ago, but still in this time when there's been a lot of energy put into, oh, what's going to be the future of fundraising and are we going to switch over to web three for everything? And, um, is there going to be social impact investing that's different and and things like that? Um, and, and then there's also community fundraising and, and, you know, crowdsourced fundraising. And so I think that there are two things that are really important. One is that if you're choosing to do a business, then you have to have a good business. So, you know, we can't say, oh, well, it's just good for the world and the end. Um, I think that there, I wish there were more space for that because mm-hmm. I think we are missing probably, especially um, because if you look at the demographics of fundraising, I mean, we're talking about leaving out a lot of people yeah, um, and a lot of people who probably have really cool ideas and want to do things that are good for the world and, um, you know, can't get that initial money to, to start that business process. Mm-hmm. Um, with this space and with consumer and any kind of scaled product, it is a little challenging to do without fundraising because you're not going to make money in the first year or two that's going to be able to cover the costs of building. So some kind of capital will be involved, um, Mm -hmm. whether it can just be like an angel round and then we can kind of bootstrap from there. That's, I think, the ideal scenario for any founder because Mm -hmm. you're not losing power, you're not losing your equity, but, you know, I think you'd make these decisions at each decision point. So right now I'm still in the, you know, can we get MVP traction stage? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not worried about it as much. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that and just being candid about kind of not sure which way you're going to go. So of course I would love to follow along and revisit (laughs) that maybe in a, a year or so, but, you know, I think there's also a lot of talk about communities how businesses can use them for selfishly, not just their employees, but to grow, um, you know, just honestly sales. Yeah. So what's your advice kind of for maybe like BDB companies specifically, if they're going to create an authentic community, that's uh, not like we talked about at the beginning where it's just one person shouting at <laughs> folks online yeah. or, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah. I'd love to get your thoughts on that too. Um, well, I think that it's important if you're using a community strategy to take it seriously. So one of the things that you see a lot right now is that there's sort of a buzzword of community, mm-hmm. but it's really like a marketer considering this another audience. Mm. And that not only um, it's probably going to fail, but it doesn't really leverage the power of that you would have by building community. So building community involves having someone who's putting energy into learning about the people who are there, connecting them, bringing them into conversations, empowering them, you know, all of these things. Because if the community is, doesn't feel like a place where you have autonomy, then you'll just leave. 
Mm. And you see that so many communities for brands kind of have this feeling of either being basically a call center mm. or mm -hmm. just kind of dying. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pausing because I mean, I've been a part of so many of those and like the call center thing really resonates is, and I think what some companies don't understand is like you, the dedication it takes really the passion for it. It's not just like user conference essentially, right? It's different. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I still think there's tremendous value if you do put that foot forward and do invest Absolutely. in it, uh, it could be incredible. The, the communities who have done this well have seen enormous returns. So um, I think one example people often say is Sephora, for example, mm. where they have this community and without that, they would just be a place where you would buy makeup. But <laughs> yeah. this community is so rabid about like sharing different things that they're doing. And that's a very scaled community. I don't even know uh, if you're thinking about other kinds of products like a B2B product, yeah. being able to bring people into feeling like um, they get to know you and they make an emotional investment in you, mm. then they're not going to leave just because you've had like an outage or something like that. They're really going to be able to be on your side. And not only that, they're able to help each other. So I think that great B2B communities understand the problem space that they're working in and don't focus on how their product helps people. They focus on helping people think through that bigger problem because really like any good product is working in a more emotional way than you often think in B2B. So it's yeah. funny, like you know, <laughs> it's solving a stress problem or something like right. that. If you can kind of tap into that. And my background is in user research and um, UX and marketing. So huh. I definitely Maybe I'm a little biased towards that side of things, but yeah. I think really like, you know, understanding is an empathy is what drives all of these processes, but community makes it much more possible for people to really invest. It's really powerful. And I think, you know, some of the things I work, I do will I'll work for brands to create these very, very hyper curated communities. And, and I have some great partners, but some of it is really tough because it's like, all right, we did this thing the week later, why aren't our sales gone up or something like right. that? And it's just like, I just want, I just like, I don't want to do that. I can't do this anymore. Like, why it's, am I doing this? It's hard to, and I don't want to say convince folks, but it, it's a different type of thinking that if the company leadership does not bought in, it, it's just never going to work no matter how many dollars you throw at it. I'll, I'll share with you. Um, there was a talk yesterday at this uh, community summit that I went to about okay proving out ROI for a community and everything you're saying resonates so much. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm it. venting a little bit. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> people, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's the same with just marketing. If you run one email campaign, do you really assume that now everybody knows what your product is? No, but it's funny how people are like, well, the people should join a community and immediately start behaving differently. But we're talking about people. Totally. Totally. <laughs> it's like, I've never said that out loud in one of these meetings I've had, but I, I really feel like I want to. And I'm going to start use, saying that because uh, it's this dance a little bit. And I, and I don't know if it's, you know, you having that background specifically in user research, maybe you can come from it at a little more like 
uh, yeah, this is the the data and mix it with, like I said, we're people too, and maybe that's a little more convincing. So I, I do uh, really appreciate that. Um, well, also it's helpful to help um, your clients if you are thinking about this, um, anybody who's listening and, and works yeah. in community to help them understand what they should expect. So you can get immediate returns from the community if you're talking about getting product information or your user research from it. Be like, yes, right away, you can start seeding comments um, or seeding conversations about people's experience or um, problems that they have that are not solved or anything like that. I mean, that, that can come right away. Sales is not the right frame for a community. Like, mm. I don't really understand why you'd think that it would lead to sales, maybe upsells, but really a community isn't top of funnel. Well, uh, before we go, I want to talk about that because there's, there's a whole industry, what you just said, why that, sh why we, why would we think that, but there's a whole industry around it, <laughs> right? My background is, and I still do, uh, but I have changed a little bit and I have great partners that get it, but there's also a lot like just events and the, the sponsorship model, big dollar sponsorships because of that. And I think it's the expectations are just aligned, not either way. And it's just kind of yeah. gross, to be honest with you. It's like, this doesn't work, right? Or there's, there's, it's going to fail uh, in a certain way. So it's funny because I, you know, having been around this world in tech for a while, I've seen many a time um, people who go in and like do a big sponsorship and then say, where's my sales? Like, it doesn't, there's never, there's no proof that that has ever worked for any context. It, the reason why you're doing it is to build a relationship, not to be like, now you're going to, you know, go and sign on a dotted line like tomorrow. But, <laughs> right. and, um, yeah. But it's weird because especially with B2B, you're really thinking usually about long-term relationships with your clients. So you really want to think about it from that perspective of like, I want to be someone who you're going to invest with for a long time. And it's kind of like suggesting like the same thing where you, people would use your product, but then the next day they would go to somebody's event and be like, never mind about your product. Right. Like, I, you know, hundred percent. And I could talk about this all day, but <laughs> I do want to respect some people are doing great work in it, obviously, but I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of different factors involved. So I, I think hopefully one good thing I've kind of realized from COVID just with everybody opening the floodgate of, of virtual events and things is I think people woke up to that a little bit as like, uh, yeah, how we should be doing it and how there's a lot of complexity involved and it's not just here's money for a sponsorship. I'm going to have a deal in a couple of weeks. It, it, I, I think folks who thought that way before I'm hearing or getting that that's not how it works going forward. So well, hopefully it's good. a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Laura, where can people kind of follow along uh, with the journey of uh, Get With and um, you know maybe connect with you if you're open to it too? Yeah. Um, so my the website is getwith.app and you can sign up for a little newsletter there as well. I'm happy to talk to people. I mean, I love people. This is why I'm in this world. So I'm always interested to hear people's experience around community or belonging. Um, and so LinkedIn or my email is uh, laura at getwith.app. Wonderful. Well, 
thank you so much for sharing time with me on the podcast. And I'm excited as you develop the product and just to, to follow along. Thank you so much for this time. And I really appreciated hearing your experience as well. I have to follow back up with you. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.